Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be joining you all today. Um, as your bulletin says, my name is Jared Burdick. I am a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church. I'm not a pastor there, but I do help with some of the preaching on occasion. So when I heard that Eugene was needing uh, help filling his pulpit today, I was very uh, glad to be able to step in. So let's uh, go ahead and begin our text here so we don't get uh, too behind schedule. I promise I'll get us all out of here at a good time. Our text is going to be found in Daniel chapter 1, starting in the 8th verse. We're primarily going to be looking at just verse 8 today, but I want us to read through and, and get a good chunk of the greater context of this first chapter. If you are able to stand, please stand with me as we honor God with the reading of His Word. Starting in verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily portion of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Balthazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants." So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fattier in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that were they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams." Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them, of all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank You for this time we have to come together to worship You, to praise Your name, to fellowship with one another, and most of all, Lord, to hear from Your Word. Lord, I pray that You'd get me out of the way today, that it would not be my words or my will that is preached here, but it would be Your Word and Your will. I pray, Lord, that... uh, You prepare each and every one of our hearts to receive Your Word, that You'd humble us, that You'd, by Your Spirit, show us how to apply it to our lives, that You'd transform us to be more like Your Son. Father, we pray all these things in Your holy name. Amen. 
So before I really get into the text here in Daniel and explain some of the historical context, among other things, I want us to consider a New Testament verse that I think we are all very familiar with, because I believe that what we see here in Daniel is a great example of what this New Testament verse teaches. This verse is Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Here, Jesus says to the disciples, He said, I said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I think we all would know that verse pretty well. I reference it because it's a critical verse for us not only to understand as new covenant believers, but to know how that plays out in our lives. I think it's easy to read that verse and quite frankly just see the impossibility of it, right? We know that this verse is illustrative. Christ was not saying, yeah, literally, try to move mountains. He's, he's using a reference that these working men, these disciples, would have known very well. It was a common phrase in their time to say that a man who is great in strength and great in skill, this man could move mountains. And so Christ is telling them, just a small amount of faith, just a, just a mustard seed of faith. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it is tiny. Just that much faith can achieve great feats. So this is what Christ is telling His disciples. This is what real faith does. Just a little bit of it. Daniel had great faith. Daniel had faith, and as we're going to look at here shortly, accomplished great things. When we think about the book of Daniel, we think about the fiery furnace, the lion's den, like two or three of the top ten stories in the Bible are in the book of Daniel, seen in his life. But where did it start? How does Daniel get to the point where he can face the lion's den? How does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get to the point where they will defy the king's order to bow down to the idol and be delivered in the fiery furnace? How do you get to that point? Starts here in chapter 1. Before we look at chapter 1, I want us to to review what what, what happens in this book, what happens in the life of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 1, he defies the order to eat the king's food and is blessed for it. Chapter 2, Daniel accurately interprets the King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that no other man could interpret. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defy the order to bow down to the idol and are thrown into the fiery furnace and delivered by God. Chapter 4, Daniel accurately interprets another one of the King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Chapter 5, Daniel read the writing on the wall of the king's palace and accurately prophesied the end of the Babylonian empire. Chapter 6, Daniel defied the order to stop praying and was thrown into the lion's den, but was delivered by God. Chapter 7, Daniel is given the vision of the four beasts, which all comes to pass. Chapter 8, Daniel has the vision of the ram and the goat, which also comes to pass. Chapter 9, Daniel spoke himself with the angel, Gabriel. Chapter 10 through 12, we see prophecies of extremely great detail of the events that were to follow leading up to the time of Christ and even after Christ's earthly ministry. Because of these prophecies and the accuracy of it, most secular scholars and historians, they dismiss the Bible simply on the grounds of Daniel because they go, it's impossible. There's no way he could have predicted these things with such great detail. So they throw it out. But we know, it's historically just fact, he did predict these things. To the inspiration and following of the Holy Spirit, What God accomplished in the life of Daniel is simply nothing short of many miracles. 
And not only do we see God use Daniel in these great ways, we also don't see evidence for a major moral failure in Daniel's life on his part. It's important. Look at many of the great men in Scripture. Most of them had a a pretty severe falling at some point. Right? David committed adultery, which led to murder. Um, there's many of these men we look at, and you see there's lives, and there's always something you've got to look at and take with an extreme grain of salt and go, okay, obviously, they did not follow God in that point. But Daniel, we don't see that. We, see, you know, we don't see as much um, you know, insight into him as a person as we do some of the other men. Chapter 9, where he confesses to God, is really the first time we see his own heart poured out. But we don't see a major moral failure. Now, now, please don't misunderstand me. Daniel was a sinner as much as anyone, in needing of God's grace and forgiveness. But he was a man of, of faithfulness and humility that played out in a way that is, that is amazing. Right? Seventy years of this captivity. He, he, was, he, was a, he, was, he was serving the king with, I think, over five different regime changes, new kings, new empires, and he was in that position. Right? I, I, I compared this when I, when I preached through the book of Daniel um, a couple months ago. I've been preaching through it for the last year and a half. Um, and as I got to chapter 9, I stopped and I, I, I wanted to make a point to think, what would it look like today politically? Right? Daniel was a politician. He was the, he was a chief's, he was the, the king's wise man. Right? He was the councilman. If This would be like the president's cabinet members. Right? Imagine what it would look like in America if there was a man who was in every presidential cabinet for the last 70 years. That man would have a greater impact on the political landscape of this nation than any single president. Daniel served faithfully over and over and over and over. So we see these great acts of, of uh, miracles and, and just achievements that God does through him, but we also see just faithfulness. Daniel was a man of humility. He had a proper understanding of the responsibility he had before God to serve without wavering. Now, like I said, I want us to look at verse 8 because this is, this is where it starts. But before we get in depth in verse 8, I want to make sure we all know what Daniel's position is at this time, at his point in his life. Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a moment. So Daniel was a young man, born and raised in Jerusalem from a noble family, and he had just witnessed his nation be conquered and utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. He was just drugged into captivity, taken to the city of Babylon, forced to serve, to serve the king against his will. Now, we don't see Daniel like, actively opposing service to the king, but I can't imagine he was very supportive of the circumstances he found himself in. The main thing I want us to realize is that Daniel had a very good grip on the gravity of the situation. The king he must now serve is the mightiest in the world at this time, And Daniel witnessed firsthand just how powerful and destructive he can be. I think he knew, going into the king's court, that there would come a time where he would have to disobey the king's orders. And that to do so would mean severe punishment, even unto death. So we have this young man, approximately 15 to 20 years old. Most people think he was probably mid-teenager, so 15, 16 years old. And he is given a command to eat the king's food. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Now there's two reasons 
why it would have been sinful for Daniel and the other Hebrew men to follow this command to eat the king's food. I want us to take very careful attention to this. Number one, the Babylonians ate food that was unclean, such as pork, which was forbidden by the law that God had established through Moses that these men had to follow under the Old Covenant. They were required to abstain from certain unclean meats and foods. Now, that's pretty easy for us to understand, right? Like, that just makes sense, okay? That's a pretty long, pretty easy uh, line in the sand to draw. Okay, don't do that. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason that applies very heavily to us today. It was traditionally a part of the king's ceremony to first offer part of his food to pagan gods. Specifically, the Babylonian idol Bel. So however this, this service looked, they would have their, their pagan priests come in and bless this food, or they might sacrifice a portion of it on their altar to these false gods. But this food had been defiled through its own religious practice. And this is really, really important for us in the New Covenant because we're in this position today. If we were in this position today, it would also be sinful for us to eat the king's food. Even though certain food like pork has now been you know, made allowable for us to eat. This food was blessed and partooking in a pagan religious service. It had been defiled. And not only was it just the food, it was also the wine. And okay, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not saying I'm advocating for alcohol. I know we're all good Baptists here. But the fact is in Daniel chapter 10, he did fast from drinking wine. To fast from drinking wine means at some point he drank wine. Whether that was for medicinal purposes um, or, or lightly drank it, whatever the fact is, he was okay with drinking wine. So for him to fast from drinking wine, it wasn't he wasn't commanded not to. He was allowed to under under the old laws. But for him to also say, I won't even drink the wine, was to say that the entire meal had been partaking in this, this religious pagan ceremony. All of it had been defiled. So he couldn't just separate the unclean food and then drink some of the clean or eat some of the clean food and, and drink the wine. None of it. He couldn't accept any of it. Now the Babylonians were very serious about their idol worship. We know this because in chapter 3, the king Nebuchadnezzar erects a giant idol and forces everyone in Babylon to worship it. They were serious about it. It wasn't optional, right? So Daniel knew this. They also ate in a way that would openly blaspheme God. In in chapter 5, the feast that is hosted there in the palace halls, they actually, when 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 they conquered Jerusalem, they went to the temple and they stole the temple vessels. Vessels they would have used to hold the oils and, and, and the, different, you know, the different things that they would have to do to, to perform the ceremonies. So they stole those temples of gold and those vessels of gold and silver. And during this feast that this pagan god holds in chapter 5, he brings out the vessels. Like that's like the, the cliche of the, the whole event was bring the Israelite vessels here and let's feast with them, and let's defile these vessels. So even their acts of eating was highly religious and highly pagan. So Daniel knew this. And verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
there's, there's a lot for us to learn here. We've all probably dealt with some peer pressure in our life, right? Nothing like this. I guarantee you, none of us have faced something like this. He knew it was certain death to defy the king's orders. But why was Daniel resolved? That's a, that's a real word. That's a man's word right there. To be resolved to stand for what is good and against what is evil. Why was Daniel resolved? And keep in mind, this is probably a teenage boy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14-6 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The way most of the time for us Christians we, we fall into sin, it, it isn't usually the moment, it doesn't start with like the moments where the, someone comes to us and tells us to, to bow down to a false idol or to worship something other than God. It's usually something little and subtle. Eat, eat a little bit of the king's food. Defile yourself. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I think Daniel understood that he needed to make known that he was unashamedly a servant of the Most High God and the Most High God alone. If you read through chapter 3, which we'll reference later, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fiery furnace, even though Nebuchadnezzar had still not repented at that point, something was going on and he recognized something. And he, he said, obviously, you guys are the servant of the Most High God. They knew that they had to make a stand. They had just watched their entire nation get conquered by this pagan king. It would have been a bloody battle. Many women, children, men were, were, were killed during this time. And we know as Christians that there is two commands. The entire law can be summarized in, right? Love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself for men, right? Men are supposed to be leaders with a vision looking out for protecting. They would have known, as they were brought into the king's court, even as young men, that they're representing their people. That if they don't stand, or if they fail, that it is going to eventually lead to harm to their families, their households, and their people. In other words, the buck had to stop with someone. And so we don't see Daniel being really flamboyant and flashy about opposing the king, but I think he knew going into this that at some point he had to make a stand. And it had to be the king's food. Because if you don't start somewhere, if you don't start with the little things, we'll talk about this towards the end, I wouldn't count on you being able to stand at your moments where you're told to bow down to an idol or when you're told don't pray for 30 days. Don't, don't wait till then. Don't think you're going to stand in the, height, the, the, the moments of triumphant glory if we're not willing to be faithful in the little things. So I think we have the beginnings here in Daniel chapter 1, but then throughout his entire life, four principles of faithfulness that I want us to focus on. Number one, 
is to be faithful in all circumstances, regardless of the circumstance. Think about this. Daniel was just enslaved and forced to serve the king in this capacity. This reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul and how often he was imprisoned. The Apostle wrote uh, uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10, He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The Word of God is our true power. It is the sword that we wield, and it is not bound by our circumstances. It isn't. It is easy to think it is. It is easy to think that our environment impacts us so much that we just can't do certain things. We just can't, we can't actually be faithful. Let's think about, let's look, at, let's look at Daniel's situation here from a pragmatic, worldly sense. Why, why did he have to pick this fight? Why couldn't he have just ate the king's food? Or I think, I think if, if we were faced with this situation, most Christians would probably tell us, okay, so what if they offered it up to, to pagan gods? Just pray over it, redeem it with your own prayer, and then eat it. Right? Just to try to do something else that's good to make up for the fact that you are engaging in this pagan worship. That's, that would be the pragmatic thing to do. Come on, you're going to die over food? Really? You guys, just, you guys just watched your entire country get destroyed. You were drugged into captivity. And now you guys are the ones that have it good. I mean, let's face it. The rest of them probably were enslaved into some type of forced labor for the time. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were at least in the king's court. They're giving the king's food. You got the good end of the stick here. No. No. Principle number two, be faithful regardless of your abilities. Daniel was a youth. He was a youth. Make no mistake, he was the cream of the crop for a youth. The beginning of chapter one makes that pretty clear. He was the best of the best. He was the healthiest of the healthiest. He was the wisest of the wisest that they could find. But he was a youth. He was a young man. This isn't the first time we see an example of this. We also see it in the life of David when he fought Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 33 through 37 tells us this. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, the lion, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Amen. If you think you are too old or too young, or too weak to serve God in any, any way, any situation, you're not any, things, any of those things as much as you are wrong. We don't, we don't fight in our own strength. No, we fight in the strength of the one who has delivered us, just as David did, just as Daniel did. 
We fight, we build, we stand for truth because God is our strength. Principle number three, we must be faithful no matter the cost. To disobey the king meant severe punishment, maybe even death. Later in Daniel chapter three, we see an even greater example of this. I'm going to read starting in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What would allow these men... What would inspire these men to make this kind of stand? I don't have all the notes. I should have, I should have looked this up, but when I preached through Daniel chapter 3, I, I did a lot of historical research trying to figure out what would it have looked like when Nebuchadnezzar erected this giant statue and brought everyone together to worship it. It's, it's, there's, there's recordings of it. I mean, it's, it would have been a huge valley and brought the entire city of Babylon out. And then he would have called for all of his leaders and the entire empire to come. Thousands and thousands of people. The whole city. Greatest city on earth at this time. Worshipping this one idol. And three guys said no. What would make them do that? What would inspire them to be faithful and courage, courageous and bold like that? I'm sure that as they knew that this was happening and they were preparing for this, they thought back to the time they didn't eat the king's food. I'm sure of it. You know, it's interesting that Daniel himself isn't listed in chapter 3. Um, I'm not completely convinced as of why it seems like he might have been traveling on some, some uh, task the king had for him. But nonetheless, I think it's obvious that he, would not have, he also would not have bowed down to this idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped up. We'll look at that example a little bit more later and how they responded to this uh, command to do evil because it is important in how we respond in faithfulness as well. But the fourth principle of faithfulness, and I kind of touched on this a little bit, but it's this. Be faithful, especially when it doesn't look pragmatic. Now, pragmatic, pragmatism, doing what is pragmatic, is defined by basically doing what works. Just do what works, right? The only issue with it is it's defined and limited by our understanding of what works. I'm a pragmatist in the sense that I love to do what works if it's what God wants. Because what God does always works. He always achieves His will. Man doesn't. 
Hebrews 11, chapter 1 tells us that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How can you make a pragmatic decision on, the world, on a worldly basis on something you can't even see? That's faith. The conviction of things not seen. In the scripture reading in Romans chapter 8, we see a beautiful picture of our reliance upon the Holy Spirit in prayer. We don't even, we, 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 we have the, the magnitude of what is going on in our relationship to God and depending upon His providence and sovereignty, we, we, don't, we can't see everything. We don't know everything. God gives us a lot. God gives us a lot more than we know just in reading His Word. There's so much we don't see. There's so much we don't know. And so we do have to rely upon God. We do have to hope in Him. We do have to have faith in Him. Right now, faith is not a coin toss. It's not good luck. We're not just trying by chance to have the right outcome we want. Faith is certain. It is the most certain thing we can have. Faith is the bedrock of our salvation. Faith in God. And God Himself is certain. So this isn't blind faith. Christian faith isn't blind. Christian Christian faith causes us to see. Daniel chapter 6 again gives us another example of what faithfulness that isn't pragmatic looks like. This is what this looks like. Starting in verse 10. This is, this is following after uh, the people who were uh, conspiring against Daniel convinced the king to sign an edict saying that no one could pray to any god for 30 days. In verse 10 it says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or any man within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then when the king heard these things, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to you, You know, O king, this law of the Medes and Persians, let no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the dens of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then the Daniel said to King, O King, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, that they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O King, I have done no harm. You tell me, how was that pragmatic? Think about it. 
we, we, live, we, we are so blessed today to not have to deal with persecution like this. I think it's coming. It's, it's, it's started. But what happens when the authorities say, don't, don't pray for 30 days? We we're pretty foolish if we think it can't happen. What happens? What do we do? What would the response be? Well, okay, hey, I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you, there would be more churches than I, I would want to see. I know there would be, be some, but there would probably be more than I want who would legitimately try to come up with plans. How can we have a church service without praying? That's where it would go. If not faithfulness to God, that's where we would have to go. How, what can we do? How, what's the bare minimum we can do to keep our skin and still supposedly serve God? Why, why didn't Daniel just go pray in his closet? Why did he have to continue to pray openly for everyone to see? Why? How was that pragmatic? It wasn't. He was faithful. Before we conclude with, with a final question I have for us, and then the final just reading through the rest of the chapter of Daniel 1, I, I want us to uh, consider the way these men responded to these evil temptations and evil commands. Right? There's, there's three, three principles that I see here that I think we, we need to take from this. Principle number one, in order to respond to evil, we must already be doing what is good on a regular basis. Already be doing it. We just read in chapter 6, it shows us that Daniel prayed according to his customs or traditions. Right? In other words, when evil came, he just kept openly and publicly doing what is good, as he was already doing. If an edict like that of chapter 6 was passed by our government today, how many Christians would be in violation of it if they just did what they did the day before? In other words... The government came and said, you can't pray for 30 days. How long would it take before a Christian started going to jail? Because they're not praying. Or they're not doing whatever their normal thing should be to do to God, for God. It, it, would it really make that big of an impact? It should humble us. Already be doing what is good on a regular basis and do it publicly. Now, now obviously, we are told... Uh, in the New Testament, that we're not supposed to be self-righteously shouting our prayers on the street corners like some were doing. But Daniel wasn't doing that. He was praying towards Jerusalem, towards the temple. There was significance in that. He did it three times a day, every day. It was his habit. But he did it publicly, and he knew the consequences. It says in verse 10 that he read the edict. He knew this was coming. But like I mentioned before, there's a point where if you're a leader, and every man is here is called to be a leader, you have to realize that there are people who are close to you, who you love, and if you don't stand up to evil, eventually it's going to get to them. If Daniel wasn't in a position where he'd go to the lion's den and challenge this act of tyranny, and challenge these wicked men, then who would it have been? One of his children? Some woman in his household? He wasn't flashy about it. He wasn't prideful about it. He was just faithful about it. But I, but I think he understood that he had to love his neighbors, the people who are closest to him. That starts with your own family. 
And if you don't want your family to be in prison for praying or be in prison for being faithful to God, you need to be public about your worship to God. So that's principle number one, is already be doing good as what is good on a regular basis. Principle number two is we need to know God's word as it applies to simple everyday actions. Most Christians today probably wouldn't stop to think about the implications of eating the king's food that have been offered to pagan gods. Probably just ignorant of it. Oh, I, you know, I didn't know that. It's okay. I, I just was just ignorant. That doesn't work in a court of law. Right? You can't say that. If you commit a crime and sins or crime is against God, He is just to punish us or discipline us. Ignorance is not an excuse. Now, I, I try not to get too carried away with application because I believe that really the Holy Spirit is the one who applies it, something to every one of your lives and your situations, but I wanted to share um, just an example of confession in my own life, of something that I was extremely ignorant of. Hormonal birth control. Contraceptives. I had no idea, but every form of hormonal birth control, if you read the pharmaceutical packaging slips on them, every one of them can be abortifacient. Some of them, their primary focus is to prevent pregnancy, but in the early 1970s, the medical community changed what the definition of pregnancy is. Biblically, life begins at the moment of fertilization. The moment a sperm cell enters an egg and fertilizes it, and God fuses a human soul to that person at that time. That child is very vulnerable. We don't, you can't see them. You don't know for when you're pregnant yet. But if you're on birth control, hormonal birth control, chemical birth control, that can still happen, but still prevent that embryo, that, that child at its first hours of life from implanting into the uterine wall. You'll never know. I don't know how many children I have in heaven. I was ignorant. I had no reason to be. I was ignorant. I had even, even godly pastoral counsel telling us that that's probably okay. Everybody else does it. We can't be ignorant. We can't be ignorant about how God's word applies to simple everyday actions. Especially as men. We have to be able to lead in those things. Don't, don't, just, don't just let something, uh, some decision be made without searching it out. And if you're not sure about it, hold off. Wait. So we need to know God's word as it applies to simple everyday actions. We need to know our responsibilities towards him. And the third principle as to how we need to respond to these evil acts and commands is we need to respond quickly with urgency. We must be prepared to face anything. And in verse 8, it says that Daniel was resolved not to eat the king's food. You don't become resolved instantly. You become resolved because you have spent a great deal of time knowing the truth, knowing God's word, praying over God's word, and preparing 
for whatever evil you might face. He was ready. He knew it was coming. He probably didn't know that he was going to be taken to the king's court when they were first initially taken captive, but he knew the direction they were going. So he was prepared. When the men, three men in chapter 3, would not bow down to the idol, just look at that conversation. They didn't have to stop and have a prayer meeting or take a poll or vote. No, they were ready. They were ready. King brought them for them. They knew what was coming. There was no secret what was going to happen. They were ready. King said, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a second chance. Let me play the music again. Maybe it's just been a, just a misunderstanding. I'll let you bow down. They said, no. No. And if you're going to kill us, it's okay. God will deliver us. But no. At that point, they're probably about my age, early 20s. Young men who are so resolved and solidified in God's Word, that when that time came, when they had to stand, it was an easy no. It's not complicated. It takes courage. It takes boldness. It takes a lot of courage. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. They knew that they must serve God rather than men. They had their priorities straight. Are our priorities right? Simple. If, if we are prioritizing God correctly in our lives, if we're ready to give an account, to give a defense, to, a, to defend the faith, like Paul tells us to, it doesn't matter what thing we're going to face. Right? Obviously, I don't, I don't think any of us are going to be sitting in front of a pagan king someday and having him tell us to bow down to his idol. Right? But what kind of peer pressures do we deal with in our families? In our places of work, you know, if you have a coworker who thinks it's just just a lot of fun to tell dirty jokes all the time, are you laughing along with them, or are you saying no, no, that's wrong? Let me explain to you why. God's word says this: I care for your soul, so I don't want to see you continue in sin. No, there's an urgency. There's there's a quickness to men who are ready. To be faithful in these situations, you have to be prepared for it. I want to um, begin to my conclusion by asking us all a question. What would it have looked like if Daniel ate the king's food? What would it have looked like? It would be easy to say that it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, right? That's what our, probably our natural response would be. I mean, come on, this man was eventually going to interpret the dreams of kings and speak to angels. What is a little bit of the king's food? Right? That is so easy to think that way. Let me explain it to you this way. Give you a little bit of an illustration. I'm a welder. I'm a structural welder, so I build buildings. And when I'm building a structure, if you're one degree off, and whatever piece you're working on is a few inches long, you don't know. You can barely see that one degree. It's so minuscule, it makes no impact. When you get a few feet out, you start to see it go off path a little bit, but it's still not too bad, easily correctable. You get a few hundred feet down the road. That one degree off 
It's become wider and wider and wider and wider until it's almost a completely opposite direction. Our lives are no different. One single decision, especially for a young man, will shape the entire trajectory of your life. Now, what do we know about the trajectory of a Christian? It's supposed to be on the straight and narrow path led by Christ, right? That's hard. It's only by the grace of God that we stay on that path, right? I mean, it's easy just to get shot right out of right field. But nonetheless, there's consequences to our decisions. And for us men, those consequences aren't just on us. It it hits us and everyone around us. Whatever path you're on, your wives are going to follow, your children are going to follow. So be faithful in the little things. One degree. Just a little bit of the king's food. I mean, really, he could have still stood up to the idol, right? He still could have prayed those 30 days, right? Wrong. I, I mean it. God would have accomplished what God wanted to accomplish. Make no mistake. Every dream that God wanted to interpret it would have been interpreted. Everything that God wanted to have done would have happened. The, the, the captivity would have only lasted 70 years because that's what God purposed to do. We know that because we have a book called Jonah. God does what he wants to do, regardless of how much we want to go along with him. But how different would Daniel's life have looked? How different? You think he would have had the courage, the other three would have the courage to stand up and face the fiery furnace? No? See, compromise breeds compromise. One of the things I'm heavily involved with at my church is I'm the leader of a ministry at our church called AIMKS, which is an anti-abortion ministry. So we go to the abortion clinics once a month in Overland Park. There's four of them in our state. On average, every day, 21 children are murdered through abortion. And those are just the ones recorded at those facilities. It's our state. And being involved in this ministry, it has come to my attention that many people in the pro-life community are very compromised. Life doesn't actually begin at conception. Well, maybe, maybe we just need to protect the babies with heartbeats. Maybe we just need to protect the babies who can feel pain. Maybe we just need to protect the babies with Down syndrome. That's the type of legislation that we're voting for. We heard about the value in both amendment. I encourage you to read it. The actual language says we're going to protect the right to regulate abortion. Not abolish it. Not end it. Not protect babies but protect the right to regulate it. Little degrees. Just a, just a slight change in the definition of a word. And all of a sudden, we are living in a nation that has murdered over 65 million babies. Slight changes have drastic effects. What would it have looked like if Daniel ate the king's food? In conclusion, I, I want us just to read through the rest of this chapter. I know this has been a very heavy, weighty message. Um, I've waited for about a year and a half to preach this message because I didn't preach chapter one. Another man in our church did. And I've referenced this back through going through Daniel so much. So, verse 11. 
Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine or to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first king, first year of King Cyrus. That's beautiful. It's so easy to become discouraged because we know our own sinfulness. We know how often we fail. The things that Daniel achieved were miracles, but his life and faithfulness was a miracle. It was obviously just a gift of God to be with him and bless him in this way. And it's, it's easy for us, it's easy for myself at least, um, to just see all of my failures, see all my sins, and to be completely uh, just distraught over it, to lose hope, to grow weary. As myself and some of my friends were at this uh, gay pride parade yesterday, I've, I was, I've spent time at the abortion clinics and dealt with absolutely wicked things that you would not imagine. And I have never felt so much wickedness as I did yesterday. They had drag queen shows in front of about 500 people, and half those people were young children. I mean, they're, they're open about this. There were more supposed Christians there supporting it than there were opposing it. And it's easy to become discouraged. It is so easy. I'm sure that at some point these young men probably dealt with some of this discouragement. Just the four of them, taken away from their families to serve in the king's court. They just witnessed what they'd witnessed, and, and it's them. And if they are faithful, they know that they deserve to be there. Their nation, the Israelites were messed up at that time. They were sacrificing children. They were conducting all forms of pagan worship. They had killed prophets. So Daniel chapter 9 talks about. And it broke their hearts. We see Daniel confessing these sins as his sins because he understood he was representing the people that he had to lead. But God blessed them. God used them. And I, and I want to I end by this. This don't take any act to God for granted. Right? Especially like for, for you women, you moms, you grandmothers. Do not grow weary of changing diapers and raising kids and doing the dishes and doing all those wonderful things. Just like us men cannot grow weary of the hard work we have to do day in and day out to take care of our families. Because being faithful in those little things, I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of other things, great things God would have for you But if that's all he has for you, praise God. Be faithful in it. Love it. And show the world how beautiful it is. 
If we want to be faithful in the glorious times of tribe, we must first be faithful in the little things. As I've said, it's, 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 just, it's just easy to take for granted the opportunities we have to serve God in those small things. I'm as guilty of it as anybody. But, uh, but know what God's Word says about those things. Know, um, know men, know what your roles are. Know how you're supposed to lead, know how you're supposed to be a husband, know how you're supposed to be a father, and then teach your wives how they're supposed to be a mother, how they're supposed to be a wife, how they're supposed to be a daughter. Just do what God says is good. And, and do it unashamedly. I mean, I mean, really, the amount of times that like, if I go out to the abortion clinics or go to something, uh, street evangelism like I did yesterday, uh, eventually if I, I'm you know, discussing the gospel with some woman and, and then the topic of, of my family comes up, I get laughed at because my wife's a stay-at-home mom. And I, and I, just, I, just, throw, I just throw it right back at them and I tell them how beautiful and amazing and wonderful it is. And just good. It's just good. It is normal throughout all of Scripture. It's just good. Right? As Christians, I think it's easy for us to want exact chapter and verse on every little detail. One thing I, I've, I have learned, especially in the past year in preaching and, and serving in ministry, is you know, sometimes God doesn't lay everything out with exact detail. He lays out things with a lot more detail than we give Him credit for. But a lot of things are just normal in Scripture. Like, Really? It's just like the, the, the biblical idea of a father-husband-led home. It's just good in Scripture. And it's wonderful. Isn't that just enough? Right? Having children and knowing that they are blessings from God. When I go to the abortion clinics, I hear the most wicked things ever. And I hear sometimes I hear them from Christians. I've talked to youth pastors who've brought their wives there to, to murder their children. And I just, I just, my heart breaks them. Don't you know this is such a blessing? Don't you know it's a blessing? It's a blessing from God. Why are we killing blessings? And then I'll have conversations with, with some other Christian friends. And this was me at a time. How many, how many kids do you want to have? And it's not about the number. But oh, just, just enough for me not to have to sacrifice too much, you know, two or three. Have as many as, you know, that's, that's between you and God. But if I look at it like this, it is insane to me that we look at things that are blessings from God and we say, I just want a few. What if God decided to bless you financially? Would you say, oh, just a few hundred? <laughs> really? Yeah, of course there's challenges with everything. There's responsibilities with everything. But it's wonderful. And it's beautiful. So be faithful in the little things. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for this time we have to come together and worship. I thank you for your word and the example we have in Daniel. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would convict all of us, convict me even more. Grant us repentance in the areas of our lives where we're, we're not faithful with these things. That, that we would just desire your will. That we would just desire your word. We desire you and your design, which is good. That we would not be distracted or weighted down with with the systems of the world that, that seek to undermine your authority. But we would embrace what you have for us. That we would live it. That the gospel 
would just soak into every part of our lives and it would be seen by all. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd be glorified in the rest of the service today and that uh, you would bless us all as we take today to rest and to focus on you. In your name I pray. Amen.